Hey there, and thanks for listening to our podcast. Our mission at Hope is to invite everyone to find Jesus and help them move toward the center of God's purpose for their life. Here's this weekend's message. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to all of our campuses, all of you watching online. Um, Man, it's good to see the people who really love Jesus, who really love the church. Those of you watching at home, we all love you, and we're praying for your salvation and uh, no, I'm kidding. Um, I know it's cold, but uh, you know, it's funny. Um, how many from the north here, you just, for, you just like look at us Texans and just go, really? Because this is nothing, right? And people are looking for just ways to stay by the fire. Um, but it's okay. It's all good. Uh, not really. I'm really <laughs> mad that you're not here. But um, hey, I'm just kidding. Those of online uh, that live elsewhere, um, and speaking of cold, um, can we just, I just want you to keep in mind today and, and during these cold spells, I mean, it's really cold and it's dangerously cold, especially for those who live on the streets. And we partner with ministries uh, all over the United States, but mo- in, in, in Dallas and in uh, New York City and, and around LA, um, you know, it's really cold. And we got workers out there that are trying to help them and get them in safe places. So just keep them in mind, all the workers and and our partnerships, and grateful for your giving that enables us to do stuff like that, and your giving of socks uh, Christmas Eve. We had tons of socks. Thank you to all of our campuses. Thank you for that. Um, Men's Foundry, uh, that is our men's conference. It's Friday, February 16th, right here at the Frisco East uh, campus. Would love to see all of our guys out there. If you're 16 and above, I think that's the the, the age, doesn't matter really. But um, it's going to be a great conference, man. I'm very excited. I always love men's conference. It's very exciting. Uh, make sure you sign up, foundryconference.net. Tomorrow, um, we celebrate Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And I don't know, in, in really, in our recent history, maybe in, in all of our history, if there's somebody who more exemplified an effort for unity, peace, and equality. Um, so grateful for his leadership. So grateful for his spirit and his attitude in which he led. And tomorrow is kind of one of those days, maybe it's like Memorial Day for you or Labor Day for you or even Veterans Day or, or whatever. You just, it's a day off, maybe. I don't Maybe you're not working, but or maybe you are working. But at, at any rate, um, I, I'm just gonna challenge you to think about uh, our commitment and maybe us recommitting ourselves to peace and unity as much as we can. We are in an election year, and we all know that's a dividing, you know, thing going on. There's all kinds of uh, uh, TV stuff going on. Hey, let's just remember that uh, as, as believers, it's the kingdom of God first. Amen. It is the kingdom of God first. And, and, and Martin Luther King Jr., he, he preached that, um, but along with our commitment to making sure everybody's treated equally and fair. And so uh, it's a good day. It's a good day. Recognize it and commit yourself to that. Today, very excited about this series. Uh, we're in week two of My Name Is, and many of us have names that have been given to us, not on purpose or by our choice. Maybe um, you've been told, you know, something about yourself, and it has stuck with you all of your life. And this series is not just about, you know, feeling bad about ourselves or, you know, sorry for ourselves, but... Nonetheless, there, there are some examples in the Bible where names changed. Uh, most of the time, God changed the name, and there was a purpose for that. There was a, a mission for that. 
uh, today, we're going to look at a story that's, that's a little bit different. It's in the, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. If, on the timeline of, of the scripture, it's uh, a couple generations before King David. So, you know, maybe 11, 1200 years before Jesus in that vicinity. And um, Ruth is a, a book that is a short book. I encourage you, even though we're in a Bible reading plan together, um, I encourage you, maybe it's a, it's, it's a real short book. It's a great story, though. And today we're going to look at the story of Naomi. Naomi is um, married to Elimelech, who all of them are from Bethlehem. And they're living there. She gets married. They have two sons. They're living their life, living the dream. And all of a sudden, there is a, a depression, uh, a famine that hits that area, in fact, that whole region. And so they have no other choice but to move. And so Naomi and her family, they move to Moab, which is modern-day Jordan. Uh, it's just across the river, and, uh, but, but enough away to where there's not a famine and uh, they live their life there. Her sons get married uh, to some Moabites, and um, they live the dream there in Moab. Well, after years go by, her husband dies. Her two sons both die. And so she is, found, she is you know, finding herself in a foreign country, in a, in a land that's not her own, with two daughter-in-laws. <clears throat> so she decides, that, I'm going to move back to Bethlehem. And so she takes her two daughters-in-law, or daughter-in-law, yeah, daughters-in-law, how do you ever say that? And they begin to move that trek, and she decides that, you know what, daughter-in-laws, or daughters-in-law, you stay in Moab, go back to your family. I don't know if it was a financial thing, like, hey, I don't want to pay for you guys, or if it was more just like, hey, just, you know, go back to your family, get married, have a life, enjoy it. You don't have to stick with me. One of the daughter-in-law, daughters-in-law, stay. I hate that. That one of the one of the kids stays, <laughs> goes back to Moab. Ruth stays with Naomi, and the famous line is, "Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God." If you've ever heard that line, it comes from Ruth. Ruth is the daughter-in-law, and she says, "I'm going to go back to Bethlehem with you." And your people, your family, your God will be mine. So they go to Bethlehem. And when they reach Bethlehem, obviously, uh, Naomi still has family there. And they recognize her. And they're like, Naomi, Naomi, you, you're back. Can it be? Truly, can it be Naomi? And this is the rest of the story in Ruth chapter 1. Don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such a tragedy upon her, upon me? Now, this is an instance where God does not have anything to do with the name change. Naomi means uh, pleasant. Mara means bitter. And Naomi changes her name, tells everybody, don't, don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. And, there's, and it seems to me, there, obviously, there's an attitude 
And, and the, 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 the point of this whole message is that Naomi allowed the bitterness of her situation to rob her of her present life. She found herself, and, and this is a tragedy, right? There's, there's no doubt about it. She uh, her, lost her husband. She lost her son. She has no family except her Ruth, daughter-in-law, who stayed, stayed with her. Other than that, she has become very sad and very, what she actually gives her the name, very bitter. And, and maybe for some of us in our lives, life has thrown us some curveballs. And, and we've received some things or we are walking through some things that are a, a really big challenge for us. And there's nothing you can do about it. You ever been in that situation where you walk through something and whether that's, I, I mean, I'm talking about ADHD, uh, anxiety of a, of a, you know, like it's almost debilitating, uh, depression, and I know some of those things are chemical, but some of those things are related to circumstances that we were raised in, and we just have this, we have this Mara name. The, the spirit that, that and I'm not, when I say, I'm not talking about demonic necessarily, I'm just talking about there is just a heaviness about our lives because of what we've been dealt, whatever that might be. Maybe it's a learning disability. Maybe it's a physical disability. Maybe it's uh, loss of some kind. Maybe it's prison. Maybe your your bad decisions. There's all kinds of reasons why we live in a Mara type of name. But the reality is today I have a question that I think is a valid question because I think many of us uh, walk in life with a challenge, some kind of challenge. Some of us way bigger and more challenging than others. But do you understand what I'm saying? That, that it doesn't matter on the scale of where that challenge is. To you, it's a challenge. And, and to me, it's a challenge. And so it doesn't matter what, if, if somebody else has a, you know, top of trial type of scale and they're like, oh, yeah, your life is bad. Well, listen to my story. And it's, you know, and I'm not saying that's, I'm not making fun of that. I'm just saying some, some live over here and like it's extremely challenging. And some live over here where it's, you know, just challenging for them. My question today is, what do we do when life isn't easy? And again, I'm not talking necessarily just about a season, because we all have seasons that are challenging or that are not easy. But those seasons kind of pass and we kind of move through whatever it might be. I'm talking more so about something like Naomi, you can't change it. It's already, ha it's happened to you. And you're walking through something right now that has happened to you. And it's not fun. And there's a tendency that we all have to, when we face something like that, to feel like Naomi. Like God has forsaken me. And a lot of times we don't walk away. Some people walk away from their faith. Naomi didn't walk away from her faith. She just lived a grumpy believer's life. Does that make sense? And so some of us have that about us. We, we're, just, we're just grumpy. Spiritually speaking, we're grumpy. We're kind of, kind of um, 
mad at God, if you want to say it that way. We're mad at life. It's just not fun. And, and, and I, I'm hoping that today, with some of the responses that I have, I've got five that I feel like are healthy responses when life isn't easy. When you have or are living in something that is primarily not going to change. It is what it is. I'm going to live with this blank, okay? What do we do? Let me say, first of all, that I am fully aware that I am not walking in your shoes. And I, and I really, anytime I talk about stuff like this, I, I want to make it clear that I know that I'm not walking in your shoes, and I, I don't know what it's like to, to walk. And so anybody that teaches from a platform, and they have like, okay, here's what you do, it's really easy for me to say, do these things. I want you to know that. I understand that some of these are like, yeah, thank you, thank you. That's not really big help, John, but thanks anyway for your try. Because it's so raw to you. Now, some of you have lived with it for a long time, and you've learned to deal with it, but you still at times go, you know, for, to say it nicely, this stinks. I don't like it. Let me also say that <clears throat> I'm not going to use James 1-2 on you today. Okay, James 1-2 says, count it all joy when you fall into different trials and troubles of many kinds, and because it's the perfecting of your faith. I'm not going to use that, although I think it's a great scripture, right? It's a good scripture. I'm not going to throw that on you and, and just say the spiritual answer to your challenge is, hey, just suck it up and, and uh, you know, be joyful. <laughs> because how many understand sometimes it's just not funny, right? It's just, it's not like counter, and, and that is a powerful passage, okay? James 1, 2, I'm not making fun of it. It's a powerful passage, but when somebody is going through something, that's not the one you need to use. Amen. You know what you need to use? That's right. This. Amen. Some, sometimes people just need a hug. Sometimes, that's why scripture says, mourn with those who mourn. Sometimes you don't need to give an answer. Well, I'm just gonna be real with them. Oh, Really? Okay, well, next time you go through something, bucko, I'm going to throw some scriptures at you, right? I mean, so it doesn't mean they're not powerful and that those scriptures aren't helpful, but a lot of times in, in messages like this, it can come across, I don't know if the condescending is the right word, but it can just come across as like, uh, hey, man, just come on, get over it. Life is it. It is what it is. We all have trouble. Well, your trouble may be a lot more than mine. And, and so I, I'm, I'm hoping that these, did I preface it enough to move on or do I need to talk more? We good? Okay, thank you. All right, so five responses to when life isn't easy. First one, be real about the dis discouragement, disappointment, or pain. Okay, we don't have to over-spiritualize it. You don't have to hide behind the scriptures that are great. It is human to be discouraged. It is normal to be disappointed. It is normal to walk through some painful things. Many of us have walked through divorce. We've either grown up with it or experienced it. It's not fun. I don't care who you are. That's not a condemnation thing. That is like a hug thing. Like I know that it's not fun. I've walked through it many, many, many times with people and it is not fun. My best friend in the world that I grew up with, we have 
friends. We have pictures of us in diapers together. Buzz is his name. And his mom and dad got divorced at a young age, and it affects you. It affects the family, and it's not fun. Whatever the case is, we get discouraged. We get disappointed. We walk through painful things. We mess up. We experience all kinds of things that are just not easy. And I think it's, I, I think it's wise to just be honest about that. Does it make sense in your small group just to say, hey, can y'all, not a pity party, but can, can y'all pray for me? And I, I'm walking through something right now that it's, it's really discouraging. And I know all the scriptures. I, I just need you to pray with me. Sometimes it's just, it's just you, you just need to be honest. And, and by the way, in this discouragement and in this depression, sometimes that we can fall into, circumstantial depression, I mean, we're in good company. Elijah, the prophet in Old Testament, is one of the greatest men of God to ever be spoken about in the scriptures. Elijah has just come off a called fire down from heaven kind of ordeal, killed all the prophets of a false god. How many would like to call fire from heaven sometime? You know what I'm saying? You know, today at 3.30, I like to call fire from heaven. Right? If you know what I'm talking about, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you just want to call fire from heaven. Well, he, he was able to do that. Remarkable story. He killed all these prophets of Baal, a false god. And here's what happens in 1 Kings 19. Here's exactly what happens. When Ahab was the king and he was married to Queen Jezebel, you've heard that name Jezebel. When Ahab got home, he told Jezebel everything Elijah had done, including the way he had killed all the prophets of Baal. So Jezebel sent this message to Elijah. May the gods strike me and even kill me if by the... Now remember this, Elijah is a prophet of one God, the God. Right? So it's amazing to me, we'll find this out, but it's amazing to me his response. May the God strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I have not killed you just as you killed them. Now, if I, don't read the rest. If I'm Elijah, I'm like going, bring it. I call fire from heaven on them, I'll call it on you, sister. Right? All right. So Elijah was afraid and fled for his life. That's what, never mind. He went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, and he left his servant there. Then when he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. Ever been there? Have there been circumstances, and I mean this seriously, that you've just prayed, Lord, not that you would, and maybe some of you have um, thought about or maybe even tried taking your life. That's never fun. That's, that's not a great place to be. It's, it's, it's just an overwhelming thing. Well, this is where Elijah is. He said, God, I just want you to take me. Uh, just kill me. I've had enough, Lord. He said, take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors who have already died. When we face discouragement, sometimes you just need to be honest. And here's what I like about Elijah. He didn't give up. He didn't take his life. He prayed. He's, he's, now, he's discouraged. And he is in pain, and he is running, and he is challenged, but he didn't give up. He prayed. He said, God, I don't know what's going on. I'm, just take my life. I, I'm, I am messed up here. 
coming off the greatest victory that you could possibly imagine. And yet he finds himself in this discouragement stage. Let me put it on the screen like this. It's human to get discouraged. Just don't stay discouraged. Never give up. Pray. Now I know, again, please, let me go back to the preface part. I know this is like easier said than done. But there are principles and, and, and ways of God that do not change. And you can get mad at me for saying it. You can get mad at me for using certain scriptures or somebody. But the reality is, guys, if you face discouragement, be honest about it. Be real about it. But don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give in. Just learn how to manage your circumstances if they're not going to change. If you're just like, I guess I'm going to live with this, so what do I do? Okay, does it make sense? Just be honest and say, all right, you know what? Here we go. Now, the second response is look for some stories to encourage you in your faith. Now, um, Paul in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, he says it this way. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. So in other words, our story, our challenge, what we've walked through in life can be an encouragement to somebody else. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Reading books on people who have overcame or overcome tremendous adversity. I don't know if you know Nick Buicic. He is an Australian guy that was born without any arms or legs. Can you imagine the challenge in his life? Can you imagine the, the and again, I'm not you know, trying to put that up there so that you think, oh, okay, thanks, John. Like a top of trial, like imagine him. You think you're bad? Well, look at this. What, what I am saying is I love the encouragement that comes from Nick in that he didn't give up, he didn't give in, he didn't say, well, this isn't fair. I'm sure he may have done that, but in the long run, in the scheme of his life, he has said, okay, how can I use this for God's glory? How can I use what I am facing for God's purposes? And and so when I face some, some things as a leader, maybe. Let's just say as a leader. You're, maybe you're leading your business and you're just facing all kinds of challenges. And it's like, man, I, you know what I love? I look for stories of other church pastors or other business leaders who have overcome some, from some pretty insurmountable things. And, I, and it just encourages my faith. It encourages me to, okay, okay, I can make it. We can make it. Let me put it on the screen like this. It is possible to walk through hard times without walking away from your faith. And let me say that again. I don't know what you experienced in your former church or two churches ago or the church that you were raised in, some kind of church hurt. And I know those are real and they're not fair and we should be held accountable. Of course we should. But the reality is when you decide to walk away from your faith, that is on you. I'll have my responsibility in that as a, as a church, you know, as a leader, as a pastor especially, teacher, but the reality is just because you walk through hard times, it doesn't mean you have to walk away from your faith. Naomi didn't do that. Elijah didn't do that. Nick didn't do that. But instead, you can walk toward your purpose. You can can take what you've been given. You can take what you've been 
walking through and use it for God's purposes. And that's what Nick did. That's what Elijah did. That's what Naomi did. And that's what you can do and we can do. We can just say, okay, is there a story that I can hold on to that will encourage me in my walk? Somebody who's walked through divorce, somebody who's walked through tragedy, somebody who's walked through bankruptcy, somebody who's walked through whatever. What can I gain from Does it make sense? And then scripture, of course. Number three, the third response is refrain from running to things that will destroy your life. Now, I understand this is um, a no-brainer, but how many know many of us run to things that are unhealthy and that will really ruin our lives? We, and I know we turn to all kinds of things, but Ephesians, I think, gives us an overarching kind of, talks about alcohol here, but, but, but I think it's like a, like a general thing. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15, says, so be careful how you live. Don't live unwise or like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Don't be, listen to this, don't be drunk with wine because that will ruin your life. In other words, don't allow things that you know can control you, that can control you, can become addictive. Don't let those things get a hold of you and ruin your life. And many times when we walk through the, the, the valley of the shadow of death, when we walk through difficult times, we tend to run to things that destroy us, don't we? And for many of us, that's been alcohol. For many of us, it's been some kind of drug, either illegal or legal. We, we, we run to work. We run to Netflix. We run to buy things. We, we run to addicting things. We run to travel. We, we do all kinds of incessant things, running to hope numb our pain. And, and the scripture, I could read all kinds of scripture. It's just clear hey, you know what? When you run to anything, let me put it on the screen. Let me put it on the screen. When facing challenging times, the only running that is safe is to the Lord. The only running we should do is to the Lord. And if you haven't, okay, so let's just say, John, I've already started down that trail. And now I am, it feels like I'm stuck. I can't stop looking at the porn. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop um, whatever. Okay, every Monday night at 6.30, you know what I'm going to say, right? We have regeneration here at Hope, 6.30 every Monday night. It is one of the best things we do. I say that almost every week. And the reason I say that is because if you've allowed something like that or just anxiety or just you, you can't make a great decision, you have a decision-making problem. Does that make sense? You always make the wrong decision? I mean, it just seems like you just thought you can't. Well, okay, something's broken, so let's, let's get some help here. But when facing challenging times, the only running that is safe is to the Lord. Everything else will disappoint. Do you understand what I'm saying? Alcohol is only just a little season. It's, it's a little thing that kind of numbs it. And then what do you have to do? You go to rehab. You go to AA. And I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm just saying, I'm saying do whatever you need to do. But what, what if, if I catch you early, what if I could tell you, hey, why don't you run to the Lord? Find the secret place, Psalm 91. The fourth response 
is surround yourself with people who will challenge you to get better rather than bitter. Again, no-brainer, right? Proverbs 27, 17, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens another friend. 1 Thessalonians 5, 11, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you're already doing. Hebrews chapter 10, don't, don't look for ways, right, to motivate one another to acts of love and good works and let us not neglect our meeting. And one of the things we do when we face challenges sometimes is we isolate. And we, instead of going to meetings, instead of going to church, instead of going to small groups, instead of going to regen or re-engage or whatever, or even counseling or small group, men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, instead of running to that, we isolate. And that's why scripture says, look for ways to encourage one another and motivate one another. Don't neglect meeting together, as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his returning is nigh or, or drawing near. Man, we, we've got all kinds of things to help with this. Find a place where you can connect. Find a place where you can be in community. Find a place where you can grow. Find a place where you can surround yourself with people. And I say it all the time. Show me your friends as a teenager and I'll show you your future. But can I just say, show me your friends right now, adult, and I will show you your future. Who are you dating? I'm talking to adults, not just kids. Who are you dating? Who, you, who are you hanging around with? Who's pushing you or pulling you? And if you're struggling, listen, if you're struggling in some of these areas that you run to things like buying things and, and alcohol or you know whatever, and I want to say this as kind as I can, but you need to get away from those people who are handing you another bottle. You need to get away from the people who are handling you and saying, hey, I'll go shopping with you. Okay, maybe that's not the best idea. Does that make sense? You, you need to just separate yourself from people who are, who are um, I don't know if they're well-meaning or not, but, but they're just not good for you. You need to surround yourself with people who will push you to the Lord, who will just say, hey, you know what? I'm going to hold you accountable. And you know what? I'm mourning with you. I've already done the hugging, and now I'm just going to hold you accountable. And I'm, I've had that so many times in my life. Somebody to say, hey, John, can I talk to you for a second? I, you, you got an attitude thing here. I'm like, who are you? I'm the pastor. Right? <laughs> Don't you be talking to me. I'll start preaching about you. Yeah. Uh, let me, I, you've heard this before. I, I've, I've stolen this from Andy and from... I think John Maxwell or whoever, the people we allow in our lives will determine the quality and direction of our lives. Right. You can take this to the bank. The people you allow in your life. If you're a business person, the people that you allow in your life will determine the quality and the direction of your life. If you're a teenager, the people that you allow in your life will determine the quality and the direction of your life. If you are struggling in your challenge, the people that you allow in your life will determine the direction and the quality of your life. How many know that I'm, what I'm saying is true, right? It is, it is, it's good stuff. All right, now, number five, last one, is learn to grow in perspective. Now, the story, going back to Naomi, um, the story 
doesn't stop with Mara. Ruth, the daughter-in-law, starts working in a field, and it's actually the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz is a distant family member of Naomi. And there is such a thing as a family redeemer in the Jewish culture. So, for instance, if, if somebody dies um, in your marriage, so, so Ruth's husband dies, well, it was custom that there'd be a family redeemer who somebody in the family would marry Ruth and, and redeem what was, you know, kind of redeem what was lost. So one of the family members would step up and help and marry Ruth or marry the other daughter-in-law, and, and then they would have a family and kids. That was called a family redeemer. Well, Boaz, long story short, Boaz becomes the family redeemer and marries Ruth. And if you skip to the end of the book, Ruth chapter 4, as Paul Harvey has said, the end of the story, or the rest of the story. Because it's not over. It's not over. Ruth 4. So Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your age. In your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and who has better, who has been better to you than seven sons. Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor women said, now at least Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed. And he became the father of Jesse and the grandfather of David. You may be in Moab today. And let me just say, you may be in Moab for the rest of your life. There are things about your circumstances that you can't change. Just know that, and I'll put it on the screen, God sees things that we cannot see. We do not know what God knows, but growing in perspective produces a trust in God's plan, even at the expense of our own. Naomi did not want to lose her family. But at the end of the day, can you hear me? At the end of the day, God brought about the rest of the story that she could not see. And she, in her lineage, sort of, kind of, through Ruth, would give, son, would give birth and King David would be the result. And guess who's in the lineage of King David? Not a trick question. Guess who's in the lineage of King David? Jesus. 
you may be in Moab and it stinks and I'm sorry. You may struggle with anxiety that is debilitating. You may have walked through something very painful in your life and there is a scar to prove it. I don't know what God has in store and let me just tell you, I don't know that you and I will ever see what God has in store. But there is a rest of the story. There is always a rest of the story with God. And your circumstances, you and I, our circumstances, we have a choice. We can get bitter or we can get better. We can look at our circumstances and say, God, how can I glorify you? And it may start with how, and then it leads to how. How can I glorify you in this season? How can I glorify you in Moab? You may be walking in that season. It may be your life story. How can we give glory to God? Surround yourself with some people who will encourage you. Find some stories that will encourage you. Be honest about where you are. Pray. And grow in your trust. Because with God, there's always a rest of the story. Lord, um, grateful for your provision. <sighs> grateful that some of us, and this is heavy, I know it's heavy, I know many of us walk through challenging things and it's not fair and it's, it's not right and it's, and it's just hard. Now many of us, we just kind of float through life and, you know, it's, it's okay. Whatever scale our challenges are, God, could we help? Could, could we just learn to glorify you in whatever season or whatever challenge that we're in? I pray that we would let you and your purpose prevail, even at the expense of our own dying away. We would never have asked for this thing but we have it. So what can we do with it? God, I pray for encouragement today that even though Naomi changed her own name, notice that at the end of the story, they didn't call her Mara. They called her Naomi. The women of the town called her Naomi. Father, restore what the enemy has stolen redeem what the enemy has tried to steal. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to Hope's weekend message. Visit hopefellowship.net and further connect with us by downloading the Hope app from the App Store or Google Play. Have a great day.